movie The Godfather takes place in the world of New York's most powerful crime family. It portrays the patriarch of an organized crime dynasty, a hidden persuader, a real but unofficial leader that oversees its community's affairs and takes care of its people. Outsiders don't even know he exists, but throughout the community, his presence is felt everywhere. The liver is like the beneficent godfather of the body. Hidden beneath our ribs, this large, deep red, wedge-shaped organ oversees the welfare of the entire body. When inflamed or injured, it leaks enzymes into our bloodstream, producing deranged liver chemistries on blood tests. This can happen without us even knowing. Enzymes may rise and fall acutely, or linger in the background of ongoing insult for longer. In and of themselves, liver enzymes do not point to any specific disease process, but their distortion can signify disease and provide clues as to the nature of the underlying problem. Today, our patient has abnormal liver enzymes, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is all about an approach to liver enzymes. Time for our minute physiology. The liver is a robust organ with a multitude of functions. It is involved in the synthesis of clotting factors, proteins, and bile. It breaks down and detoxifies harmful drugs and substances, and acts as an energy storage unit by stockpiling glycogen. No single laboratory test can truly capture the global function of the liver. Thus, we employ a battery of tests to aid in our interpretation. The liver enzymes are aspartate aminotransferase, or AST, alanine aminotransferase, or ALT, and alkaline phosphatase, ALP. AST and ALT are termed the aminotransferases. They reside within hepatocytes primarily, so raised levels usually represent hepatocellular damage. ALT is found in the highest concentration in the liver, whereas AST is found in various organs including liver, skeletal muscle, heart, brain, and kidney. This makes ALT our most specific marker of liver injury. ALP comes mainly from cells lining the bile ducts, but it is also produced outside the liver by bone, placenta, kidneys, and gut. Your hospital may have the option of fractionating ALP into its isoenzymes by electrophoresis, which can help you identify its origin. The best adjunct test to confirm liver origin of raised ALP is gamma-glutamyltransferase, GGT. GGT itself is overly sensitive and can be elevated even if no clinically significant liver injury is occurring. Thus, it should never be interpreted in isolation. AST, ALT, and ALP are sometimes referred to as the liver function tests, or LFTs, but this term should be avoided. It is a misnomer that is important to debunk here. These are enzymes and do not reflect the synthetic function of the liver, as the liver can be inflamed but have normal function. The liver is the exclusive site for synthesis of albumin and clotting factors, gluconeogenesis, and the conjugation of bilirubin. So if you really want to assess liver synthetic function, you should order serum albumin, INR, bilirubin, and glucose. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach to interpretation. A complete history and thorough physical examination is crucial in the effort to find out what is causing our patient's elevated liver enzymes. 
Patient age is a good starting question to help categorize your thoughts, as certain diseases manifest earlier while others later in life. Ask your patient where they are from, as hepatitis B may be endemic to their country of origin. Review if they have risk factors for viral hepatitis, including but not limited to intravenous-slash-intranasal drug use, body piercings, travel to foreign countries, occupation, tattoos, or blood transfusions. Do they have comorbid conditions like diabetes, obesity, dyslipidemia to consider non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, neurological manifestations like in Wilson's disease, emphysema to raise suspicion for alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency? Do they have extrahepatic conditions like celiac disease or chronic diarrhea, thyroid disorders, inflammatory bowel disease, which could be at play? Are they pregnant? Could this be pregnancy-related? Do they have any genetic conditions pertaining to liver disease, such as hemochromatosis and Wilson's disease? Do they endorse a history of excess alcohol use? It is important to detail any recent binge pattern and chronicity of use. Have they had an exposure to hepatotoxic medications? Use of over-the-counter medications and naturopathic or herbal supplements should be part of your medication history as well. Use of Tylenol or its constituents, especially timing of last ingestion, is crucial to ask in case of Tylenol overdose. Liver tox is a helpful reference when reviewing your patient's medication profile. Do they have signs and symptoms of liver injury? Some patients may have no symptoms and elevated liver enzymes may be an incidental finding. Some may have vague symptoms like nausea, vomiting, lack of appetite, fatigue. Others may endorse right upper quadrant abdominal pain, suggesting liver capsule irritation from inflammation. Hyperbilirubinemia may present as dark urine, pale stools, jaundice, or pruritus. These are what we call obstructive symptoms and can suggest disease affecting the biliary tree. Coagulopathy may manifest as easy bruising or bleeding. Psychosis can suggest Wilsonian crisis, but more commonly, confusion and tremor are hallmarks of hepatic encephalopathy. Stigmata of chronic liver disease may be noted on physical examination, such as jaundice, ascites, peripheral edema, hepatosplenomegaly, gynecomastia, testicular hypotrophy, telangiectasias, pulmonary erythema, muscle wasting. Absence of these changes may be more suggestive of acute liver disease. Some liver disorders may be associated with specific physical exam findings. Tanning of the skin or joint pain in the MCP and PIP joints can suggest hemochromatosis. Kaiser Fleischer rings in the eyes are seen in Wilson's disease. Track marks may suggest hepatitis or drug-induced liver injury. Alright, let's talk about some of the workup. There are four main questions to ask yourself when confronted with abnormal liver enzymes. Is the elevation acute or chronic? Is this a hepatitis, cholestasis, or mixed pattern? How high are the numbers? How well is the liver working? It is prudent to go back to your patient's history and trend their liver enzymes to determine if this is a new or persistent derangement. An acute elevation occurred less than six months ago, whereas a chronic elevation has persisted for more than six months. Different types of liver disease cause different patterns of liver enzyme elevation. Identifying these patterns are your second step when interpreting abnormal liver enzymes. You can group them into three categories, hepatocellular, cholestatic, or mixed. This is based on the pattern of enzyme alteration that is most predominant. A hepatocellular or hepatitis pattern refers to damage of the hepatocytes and causes predominant elevation of ALT and AST. Cholestasis refers to interruption to the flow of bile. This is manifested as an elevation in GGT and ALP, 
which is secreted into the blood by the cells lining the biliary tree. So, it is a hepatitis if the ALT is elevated more than the ALP, and it is cholestasis if the ALP is elevated more than an ALT. The most important causes to be aware of are the mechanical causes of obstruction. These can be further divided into intrahepatic and extrahepatic causes. Intrahepatic obstruction can arise anywhere along the biliary tree, from the small ducts within the liver lobules to the larger ducts draining from the liver. Causes include stones, infection or cholangitis, inflammation, primary sclerosing cholangitis, or malignancy, cholangiocarcinoma. Extrahepatic causes arise from outside the biliary tree, such as mass compressing the biliary tree and causing obstruction. In terms of metabolic causes, always consider medication. Anabolic steroids are a well-documented cause, as are several antibiotics. When ALT and ALP elevation are about the same, this is considered a mixed pattern enzyme elevation. This is commonly due to drug-related reactions, especially antibiotics like clavulin and nitrofurantoin, and antifungals. Infection with a non-hepatitis virus, such as EBV, is another cause of mixed pattern enzyme elevation. A mixed pattern of derangement usually resolves spontaneously. However, if the derangement is persistent, it is important to do your due diligence and investigate for other hepatitides. The third question to ask in your approach is how high are the numbers? This question is especially important when confronted with a hepatocellular pattern. If ALT or AST is less than five times the upper limit of normal, or less than 200, this is classified as a mild hepatitis. If the ALT or AST is greater than 10 times the upper limit of normal, or over 400, this is classified as a severe hepatitis. Between 200 and 400 is somewhere in the middle. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is the most common cause of mild alteration of liver enzyme levels in the Western world. Other important causes of mild hepatitis include chronic viral hepatitis, alcohol use, hemochromatosis, autoimmune hepatitis, and medications like over-the-counter acetaminophen and NSAIDs. Patients presenting with striking elevations in the immunotransferases, greater than 1,000 international units per liter, have a limited differential. These derangements are almost always acute. Patients may or may not be symptomatic and are at particular risk of fulminant liver failure. Thus, quick recognition and diagnosis is prudent. The mnemonic PASSIVE is helpful to remember the conditions part of the Mile High Club. Pregnancy, such as HELP syndrome or acute fatty liver of pregnancy. A stands for autoimmune hepatitis. S for salicylate or acetaminophen overdose. S for stone. I stands for ischemia, such as Bud-Chiari syndrome or shock. V for viral hepatitis, which includes hepatitis A and E. HSV, CMV, and VZV. Acute hepatitis B or C will almost never give this picture. And metabolic, referring to Wilson's disease. Alcohol is a bit of an exception, as it can cause a severe hepatitis without ALT rising above 400. The clue in alcohol-related liver disease is that the AST will be higher than the ALT, usually in a 2 to 1 ratio. In all other causes of hepatitis, the reverse is true. The only other exception you may see in AST greater than ALT is in cirrhosis. With more widespread damage, scarring, and mitochondrial compromise, AST rises and shifts the AST-ALT ratio to be greater than 1. Thus, you can live by the rule that ALT is always greater than AST, except in two situations, alcohol and cirrhosis. When the liver is damaged either by cirrhosis or from other severe acute hepatitis, necrosis ensues and hepatocytes become profoundly edematous. 
these changes stiffen the liver and can impede blood flow through the liver, causing what is called portal hypertension in the portal blood that is coming from the gut, hindering it from flowing through the liver. Signs and symptoms of portal hypertension include ascites and variceal hemorrhage. Encephalopathy may also occur, but is less well correlated to the portal pressures directly. These are the defining events of decompensated liver disease. The last question to ask, is the liver working properly? This question brings us into our next big topic, investigations that we need to order. Liver enzymes do not tell you anything about how our patient's liver is working. On blood work, thrombocytopenia is often the first clue that synthetic function of the liver is impaired. It is a direct manifestation of clinically significant portal hypertension, causing splenic congestion. One can remember the progression of biochemical derangement in liver injury as the W effect, from thrombocytopenia to decline in albumin, elevation in INR, and then bilirubin. If the liver's ability to synthesize protein and coagulation factors is impaired, you will see a low albumin and a high INR. If the liver's excretory role is affected, this will manifest as a high bilirubin. In advanced disease, you may see hypoglycemia as the liver's functioning gluconeogenesis flounders. Patients with abnormal liver enzymes should be screened for viral hepatitis, including hepatitis A, B, and C, toxic congestions with a serum acetaminophen, toxic alcohols, and a urine toxicology screen, autoimmune hepatitis with antinuclear antibody, anti-smooth muscle antibody, and IgG4 or gamma globulin levels, hemochromatosis with serum ferritin, serum iron, and transferrin with percent iron saturation, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency with alpha-1 antitrypsin level, and serum seroloplasmin levels and 24-hour urinary copper for Wilson's disease. As a safety point, in any female, don't forget to order a beta-HCG. Conditions specific to pregnancy can cause liver injury, including hyperemesis gravidum, intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy, acute fatty liver of pregnancy, and HELP syndrome. A liver ultrasound with Doppler should also be ordered to rule out vascular or ischemic etiologies, such as portal vein thrombus or hepatic vein thrombosis, like Bud Chiari. An ultrasound is also important to assess the gallbladder for stones or common bile duct dilation in a predominant cholestatic pattern. Large slash medium bile duct pathology can easily be seen on imaging. However, small duct injury usually does not. If suspicion for cholelithiasis, for instance, remains high, further imaging with an MRCP can be helpful. A liver biopsy is the last resort and is only considered when all the above testing for hepatocellular and cholestatic processes are unrevealing. In most cases, the best course is expectant observation. Note, however, that a liver biopsy is required to diagnose autoimmune hepatitis. A liver biopsy is done via transabdominal or transjugular approach. Alright, let's discuss treatment. Long-term management of elevated liver enzymes is based on a simple concept. Remove the offending agent. Whether liver damage is secondary to acetaminophen toxicity, viral infection, iron overload, or copper deposition, the specific treatment targets are all at removing the offending agent. We use antivirals for hep C and hep B if high viral count and inflammation, ursodeoxycholic acid for primary biliary cholangitis, phlebotomies for hemochromatosis, penicillamine for Wilson's disease, weight loss and glucose control for steatohepatitis, and steroids or azathioprine for autoimmune hepatitis. Patients with persistent derangements or chronic liver disease should be referred to a hepatologist. Okay, time for our medicine minute. Before any surgery or invasive procedure, like a paracentesis for instance, 
we look to the INR as the measured coagulopathy. When high, we worry about hemorrhagic risk and the safety profile in proceeding. We reflexively act to reverse with pharmaceutical agents like vitamin K, prothrombin complex concentrate, or transfused blood products like plasma or platelets. But does the INR tell us what we think it should tell us in a patient with liver disease? The liver plays a crucial role in the coagulation cascade. It produces all the factors involved in the coagulation cascade, with the exception of von Willebrand factor, which is secreted by endothelial cells. However, it also produces anticoagulant proteins, such as antithrombin-3, protein S, and protein C. Thus, INR is actually very poor at predicting bleeding risk in patients with liver dysfunction, because it only reflects change in procoagulant factors. It does not account for the anticoagulation factors that are also not being synthesized. Therefore, there is no certainty reversal agents provide any protective effects and may rather expose the patient unnecessarily to increased harm from adverse transfusion-related reactions. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Sorting It Alt Out, Approach to Abnormal Liver Enzymes. This episode is written by Dr. Elisa Lagerteria, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Eric Greenwald, gastroenterologist, and Dr. Amna Ahmed, general internist. This episode was recorded by Leah Karianopoulos and edited by Nafis Hussain, medical student. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshman the Santhamoan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to visit us at www.theinternetwork.com for associated infographic and resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.